There's a saying. There's a saying in the coaching arena when you coach sporting teams, and the saying is this: that um, you can, you, you're at the team's only as good as the cattle you have. And what that means is the individual talents and abilities of the players. You don't come up with a game plan and then tell all the people with the, in the team, this is what you have to do. If you're a smart coach, you work out what people are capable of first and then you build a game plan from there using the strengths and so on of everybody. I'm saying that because the connection of cattle, that's all I was hurting, trying to herd you down to your seats. And it seemed to work because by the time I got here, most of you were there, most of you. So maybe that's a technique we need to develop a bit more. Uh, as you know, every week we're trying our best to try to get you to come back. It's very hard when people provide fantastic morning teas and, you know, excellent um, <laughs> Makona bottled coffee. <laughs> it's a joke for all you coffee snobs out there. Have you got a Bible there? Turn with me to Philippians. Chapter 4. We've been talking for a few weeks about the will of God and we finished up kind of on the will of God last week and we had a look at this point that... God never promised to give us 100% satisfaction this side of heaven. But he did promise to empower us to choose contentment. Amen? God has never made a promise to say that we will have everything perfect, squeaky clean. Yes, Jesus did say, I've come to give you an abundant life, a life more, but he did say that. But he also said, in this life you will have trouble. You will have trouble. So it is possible to find a peaceful space in this world with trouble and not devoid of trouble and that's the beautiful thing about contentment is that contentment is a state of being no matter what our external circumstances are so we can because we are empowered by God to choose contentment in any and every situation and circumstance and so we talked a little bit about that last week so I thought I'd build on that and carry on a little bit from there and just give you a few thoughts about this whole concept or idea of contentment this morning. Before I do, I read a little story the other day about a, a preacher and his, his kid. And uh, a little boy came up to him one day and he said, Daddy, I notice every Sunday morning when you first come out to preach, you sit up on the platform, you bow your head. The boy said, what are you doing, Dad? And the father explains, he says, I'm asking the Lord to give me a good sermon. To which the little boy replies, well, why doesn't he? <laughs> well, I think this young boy has a problem with contentment. He should learn to be content with whatever his father's preaching from the front. And how many people leave churches because they're discontented with this and discontented with that and the preacher's not the best? You know what, let me tell you something right now. It's very hard for churches in this modern day and age to be everything that the consumer wants. Did you know that? I know that you can go home tonight and you can listen to uh, Craig Groeschel from Life Church. And you can go home and listen to a podcast of his tonight and, and he'll make me look like I'm a complete fumbling, bumbling idiot up the front. You can go home and listen to Brian Houston a couple of times. You can not just listen on podcasting and watch him on TV. You can, you can listen to John Maxwell. You can listen to John Piper. Whoever your favourite style of preacher is, you can find somebody out there that has the flavour you want. It's like Baskin and Robbins, you know. The world is like a Baskin and Robbins. The church landscape is Baskin and Robbins. 
And okay, it's not Neapolitan with just a chocolate, a vanilla, and a, it's 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 every shade and color and flavor you can think of. That's the church landscape that's out there right now. And so people can pick and choose. You know, one of the downsides of of the accessibility we have to everything is, I believe, if we're not careful, it does breed a little bit of discontent. It does breed a little bit of comparison. Well, he's this guy over here is way better preacher. Oh, this church over here, they're doing way better things in the community. This, this guy's over here, their church, their building and their strut's so great. These guys do worship like this. It's so much better than this worship. And it can breed a little bit of discontent if we're not careful. Okay? That's not part of my message, by the way. That's free. Okay? You, you, I'm not charging you for that. That just came out then. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Um, needless, I'll come back to this little boy. What a discontented little boy. Because he was, you know why? Because he was at home watching Brian Houston. And then his dad would preach and be like, why doesn't he give you a good one? Why in other words, why doesn't he turn you into Brian Houston? Well, maybe God's got one Brian Houston, he's happy with that, and he needs one of this little dude's father, perhaps. So on. So I think I've segued back to where I'm heading now, so we can move on. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13 says this. This is Paul, the apostle, writing. Now keep in mind, Paul's not sitting at a desk at his cottage in the hills overlooking the lake with the ducks and the trees and the sun's just coming over the top of the mountains in the distance. He's actually chained to a wall in prison. His view is probably rats running around on the ground. The prison is underground where he is. He doesn't have a view. It's probably dark and damp and smelly and mouldy and if there's any noises, it could just potentially be the groans and the utterings of the other uncomfortable prisoners who are in that place as well. Paul's in this place, yet he writes these amazing and powerful words. He says, Not that I was ever in need. So the Philippians had gathered up an offering and sent an offering to him to help him out in this situation that he found himself in. And he says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Here's that word again, I've learned. Notice that's the second time he's... I've learned the secret of living in every situation. You know, some of us think that God... When the Bible talks about secrets, it means things that... uh, You know, when I tell my wife a secret, but none of you are ever going to know about that secret, you know? And there's no possible way you're going to know because I don't want you to know. That's why it's a secret. You know, when we tell secrets, it's because we don't want other people to know. Secrets, when the Bible talks about the secret things of God or, or, or secrets, it's not things that God has hidden from us. We need to understand it's things that God has hidden for us. I want you to imagine kids on a lolly hunt. Any ever seen kids on a lolly hunt or anyone ever done lolly hunts with your kids or Easter egg hunts? What do we do? We don't go out there and we don't hide them. And if you do, by the way, you are a cruel parent if you do this. Okay, and if you do do it, I don't want you to go, yeah, I did that one. Don't tell me, I don't want to know. All right? I don't want to know this sadistic stuff going on. But we don't go out there with our lollies and our eggs and hide them in places. Like we don't get a shovel and dig a six inch trench and put the eggs in, and, and then say to kids, hey, go and find it. <laughs> and they sit back and watch, <laughs> look at them digging around. Like, if you've got a kid this big, you don't put his Christmas present on top of a cupboard up there where he can't see it and can't reach it. That would be cruel. We don't do that stuff, do we? Some of you are going, oh, no. Some of you, I'm not sure. It's all, maybe you're going, oh, I did that once. I don't know. If you did, God can forgive. 
We don't hide them from them. But when we do a lolly hunt or Easter egg hunt, we, we put it out there and the kids go in. We hide it for them to find. So when the Bible talks about the secret things of God, and here Paul's writing, I've learnt the secret to contentment. It's not a secret that's hidden that we can't find. What it means is it's something that's been hidden for us to find. It's not just there on the surface. We've got to desire some of these things and dig for these things and look for these things. And God's going, if you search, you'll find. Knock and it will be open. Yeah? Seek and you'll find. There's a little bit of energy on our part as we press into God. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, I've learnt this secret. He said, I've learnt the secret. I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. I've learnt the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. He says, I've learnt the secret. I know how to do this. I've learnt it. Anyone notice that word? I've learnt it. In other words, it's not first nature for us to be contented creatures, is it? Most of us have a slight bent towards discontentment. We're never happy. We're not satisfied with what we have, where we are in life. Our, 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 our spouses are never good enough. Our children are never good enough. Our home needs to be changed a bit. We need another car. We might need another job. We might need to find another church. There's this gentle bent towards discontentment. You know, I believe it's there because we live in a time, a day, an age where there are so many voices telling us what's, what we should have, who we should be, how we should feel, what we should look like. Adam and Eve in the beginning, imagine, walking in the garden with only one voice. Well, Adam had one voice and then Eve came along and then all of a sudden there was two voices and Eve had two voices, her husband and God. And then one day what happens? The serpent comes in and the serpent says to them, you can't possibly be satisfied with where you're at. Don't you know if you eat that fruit, there's a whole new world of satisfaction out there. You'll be like God. You'll have this. You'll know right and you'll know wrong. What he did was he came and he basically said to them, you shouldn't be satisfied right here. You shouldn't be content with what you've got. There's so much more. And ever since then, mankind has been chasing this elusive thing that we think will satisfy us. And we drive ourselves into the ground trying to find it. Because, but it's not there. It's a marker that keeps moving. If I get the nice car, I'll be satisfied. I get the car. It doesn't take long before the guy on the ad tells you, this car's old news, man. You need this one. You know? It's the world we live in, where these voices are geared towards building and instilling within humanity discontent. And yet God is saying, you know what? The secret place that I have for you is a place of contentment. And what Paul says here is, I've learned the secret of living. Here, Paul learnt this. Paul learnt it. In other words, when I hear the word learn, I also think of the word process. There's a process that Paul went through. So what Paul's confessing here is, I've learnt the secret. In other words, once upon a time, I was not a contented person. Once upon a time, I didn't know how to be content with my life. Once upon a time, I was unsatisfied. Once upon a time, I was like the rest of you, searching, trying to find that thing that would bring me contentment. He said, but I've gone through a process in my life, and now I have learnt contentment. That's exciting news for those of us that are discontented. It means that we also can learn how to be content with our life. We can learn how to be content even in spite 
of our life. There's a secret to it. And it's not hidden from us. The secret's been hidden for us. This is what Paul's saying. I know how to live on almost nothing. I know how to have everything. I've learnt the secret. So I wonder when Paul's writing this, if it's going through his mind, you know, when we look back at the history of Paul's life as a little child, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that his family were quite well off, that they had some connections. At the age of 10, he ends up in the temple training under Gamaliel, the high priest, one of the most notable and most revered high priests there was. And at about 10 years of age, he's in the temple and he's got guidance directly under this man. So when you read historians and you read commentaries and so on, there's a, a, an indication that his family had money and they also had connections with people in high places to get this young boy under the tutelage of this well-known and revered and educated high priest Gamaliel. And so he's brought up in this kind of environment. And I wonder if as he's penning this, he's reflecting and he's going, you know what, I, 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 I've, I've, I've learned how to have everything. When I had everything, I was discontented. But I've learnt how I can have everything and be content. And he's also in a prison at the time, chained to a wall. So maybe he's also reflecting on where he is as well, going, I also know that I can have nothing and find contentment. Because the truth of the matter is this, you can have everything discontented, you can also have nothing and be discontented. Some people think contentment means we'll be poor. Let's take vows of poverty and let's, let's distance ourselves from material possessions in the material world and that will give me contentment. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying I've been in both places. I've been a rich discontented person. I've been a poor discontented person. But guess what? I've learnt some stuff so now I know how to be a rich contented person and I know how to be a poor contented person. Because contentment has nothing to do with external circumstances. In fact, that word content that Paul uses here, it's also used in the ancient world to describe a fortified city. So in, 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 in the ancient world, what they would do is they would build a city. They would build a wall around that city, a containment around it. And inside that city, they would make sure they had water supplies and food and things so that if a, a, a raiding, invading army came against them, they could lock the gates and they could survive inside those walls for months, maybe years, because they had all they needed inside the walls. It's the same picture, same word that's being used here of being self-sufficient from the inside out. Not needing anything externally for my contentment. Not needing anything from out there to give me that sense of peace. That's the same word that's being used, the same picture. Paul's saying that my life, I've learnt that I can be like a fortified city. Where my, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around me, outside of me, that's not where I'm drawing my contentment from. My contentment's coming from within here. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, we can be contented on the top of the mountain, we can be contented in the bottom of a valley. We can be contented with every material possession known to man. You can also be as contented with nothing but a banana. Why did I choose banana? Just because. Felt like the right word at the right time. Banana. Who likes bananas? I love bananas. And this is what Paul's saying. He said, I've had to learn how to live with everything and I've had to learn without nothing. And he goes on and he says that contentment's a secret. And he says, I've learnt the secret. Move on to the next verse for me there. And here's what he says. He says, here's the secret. Here's what I've discovered in my vast experience as a Pharisee, as somebody that's educated in the Old Testament scriptures, as somebody that's sat under the tutelage of the best of the best, as somebody that has been so passionate for God that before I understood the Jesus part of that, I was murdering people. 
who I thought were going against God. I was literally driving them to their graves. As somebody who saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus in a blinding light, as somebody who had to be led to, to a house and be prayed for and had his sight restored, as somebody who tried to introduce himself then to the church and was rejected because rightfully so, they were scared stiff of me. They thought I was going to do them harm. As somebody who went and spent time in the backside of a desert getting taught by the Holy Spirit, this is Paul's testimony, you can find it all in the Bible. As somebody who then was introduced by Barnabas, Barnabas came and said, no guys, this guy's had a serious encounter, here, and brought him in. And then as somebody who travelled from that place all around on missionary journeys, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, who was beat, who had all these things happen to him, people liked him, people hated him. As somebody who went through all that stuff, he says, I've learnt one thing, there's one secret to contentment, one thing, that's it. And he says, it's this, I can do that, that, have this, have that, be without this, be without that, all because of one thing through Christ, who gives me strength. Christ gives me strength. He gives me my significance. He gives me my status. He gives me my purpose. We sang that song this morning, everything and, you know, I surrender all. Remember when you first came to Jesus? I remember when I first came to Christ, I didn't care about nothing but God. And, I, and that's not to say I was rude and disrespectful to the world. I loved my father like I'd never loved him before. I loved my mother like I'd never loved her before. I loved my neighbour like I'd never loved my neighbour before. I gave of my time and energy for other people like I had never done it before. I prayed like I had never prayed before. I was passionate and I got into this book like I had never got into anything before. When I first came to Jesus... And I found everything literally in him. Now, I'm more educated now since then. I've realised, no, you need more. Jesus. You need a few other things as well, Alan. How ridiculous. It's funny because in that place, if I reflect back on my life, it's the most contented I ever was. I've never been that content. When I was actually stupid enough to think that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking here about jumping off tall buildings in a single bound. He's not talking about putting on Superman capes and fending off kryptonite. He's talking about everyday life living. Now, sometimes we use that, I can do all things through Christ to talk about all the great things we can achieve in life. And yes, it's applicable. Yes, it can happen. But we bring it into its context in which he's writing it, sitting in a prison cell. He's not talking about your great achievements in life. He's talking about your very life itself. He's talking about contentment. He says, this little verse I'm about to write here, I can do all things through Christ. That's the secret that I've learnt to live in a contented life. Christ first, Christ second, and Christ third. In that order, by the way. He says, if I get God at the right place in my life, he says, then I could be contented. I just want to throw uh, just three real quick thoughts out at you about contentment. First one is contentment is not resignation. Contentment is not resignation, okay? First Corinthians 7.21, Paul says this, he says, are you a slave? Now keep in mind there was still slavery going on in the day. And Paul says this, he says, are you a slave to the people in the Corinthian gathering? Because there would have been slaves in there who'd turned to Christ. He says this, he says, are you a slave? Then don't let that worry you, but if you get a chance to be free, take it. Interesting. If you're a slave, don't let it worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, then of course take the chance to be free. 
See, contentment is not about resignation, going, well, this is where my life is. I shouldn't have dreams. I shouldn't have goals. I shouldn't be trying to better myself. I shouldn't try to educate myself. I shouldn't try to get a better job if that's what I, 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 I'd like. I shouldn't try to earn more money to look after my family. I shouldn't try to get... It's not saying... Contentment is not saying I shouldn't be trying to strive to be better or whatever or to, to, to take, uh, make the most of the opportunities that this life affords me. It's not saying that. What it's saying, though, is that that sense of contentment, that sense of value, that sense of purpose that we have, that inner peace doesn't come as to whether we get that opportunity or not. He's saying to the guy that's a slave, look, be content, don't worry about it. Be content, you're a child of God. But if somebody comes along and says to you, you can be free, don't say, no, 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 I don't need that, I'm a child of God. Please, whip me, whip me, I love it. He's saying, don't be stupid like that. If the opportunity comes along, then of course you take the shackles off and you accept that freedom and you praise God for that opportunity to go one step further in the direction you want your life to go, but you keep the focus on him and you say, thank you, Jesus, you gave me this opportunity. So contentment is not about resignation. It's not about giving up and saying that, oh, well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I shouldn't be striving or trying to be better. We should still be trying to move forward. Okay, we should still be. What does the Bible say? Run the race with endurance. That's that's a movement thing. You know, that's a dun, 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 dun. that's a movement thing. And each of us are running a race. You're running your race. I'm running my race. You're not running mine. I'm not running yours. You're running yours. I'm running mine. And I know where my race is heading. And I know that, that, that where how educated I need to be to finish there. I know what things I need to get there. I know what stuff I need in my world to make it. I know what things are in my life right now that are hindering me, that I need to work on to push. So so there's still development and we're still moving because we're still moving forward. So contentment is not resignation for your circumstances now. But if we're not contented now, we won't be contented then. If we can't be content where we are now, we're not going to be contented when we get down the track. Socrates, the, the, the Greek philosopher, said this once. He said, He who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. And I think that's true. Why? Because contentment's not going to come from what you get. Contentment comes from within. Contentment does not come from without. Really quickly, second thing I want to say about contentment is contentment requires a change of perspective. Contentment requires, (coughs) excuse me, a change in perspective. You know, there are two constant realities going on right now in your life. And they're both in absolute conflict but they're both just as real as each other. It's this. No matter how much you have, there's always something you don't have. No matter how much you have in life, there's always something you do not have. And the second reality is this. No matter how little you have, there's always something you do have. Two conflicting realities. And they're happening in your world right now and they're happening in my world right now. No matter how much I have, there's always something I don't have. And no matter whatever I don't have, there's always something I do have. Here's the trick. Which reality is the dominant reality for you? Which one do you focus on the most? People who choose to focus on the one that, no matter what I've got, I haven't got everything, people who focus on that reality are never contented. Because you always think there's something else out there that is the missing piece, the last jigsaw puzzle. When we look at it from the other angle... You know what? You can either sit there and go, my life is worse than theirs, or you can sit here and go, my life is better than theirs. It's all about perspective. How do we choose to look at our world? Is the cup half empty or is the cup half full? Perspective plays a large role in your ability to handle your life in a contented way. How do you look at it? First one, 
Contentment is not resignation. Second one, contentment requires a change in perspective. We need to change our perspective. And thirdly, contentment requires a change in focus. Contentment requires a change in focus. What do we take out of Paul's comment? I've had everything and I've had nothing. I know I can be discontent with everything and I know I can be discontent with nothing. But I've also learned along the way I can be content with everything but I can also be content with nothing. He, he, he doesn't hide it from us. He says, here's the secret. I can do it all through Christ. What am I focusing on? Am I focusing on the amount I do have? Am I focusing on the amount I don't have? Or am I centred on Jesus? Am I centred on my relationship with Christ? See, we live in a world that is doing everything it can to make sure you do not focus on that. It's screaming at you every day. You're going to walk out of here, you're going to get in the car, you're going to put on a radio advertisement. It's going to tell you something. And the whole idea is to get your, your focus somewhere else. Away from God. We sing a song here, Christ is enough for me. But most of us, when we first got saved, we understood that. We realized that we lived like it was true. But as we go on, we kind of lose it. And all of a sudden, yeah, now Christ is... Re- now, the song really... The proper words for most Christians these days is not Christ is enough for me. It's, it's, it, it, it would be more along the lines of, you know, um, uh, yeah, Christ, is, Christ is a lot for me. Not enough, because there's still so many other things I need. But, you know, Christ is, is somewhat sufficient for me. But no one would sing that song because it's hard to find rhyming words for a start. But, you know, Christ is almost enough for me. I surrender some. I surrender. You know? We lose sight of what's really, really important. Paul says, the only way I can be contented in this life is by keeping my focus on Jesus. Not on what I do have, not on what I don't have, not on what I wish I was, not on where I wish I, I could be. Or, he said, I've got to focus on Christ and bring Christ as the lens through which I look at everything I have and realise that I can have it all or I can have nothing because as believers, our contentment is in Christ. Jackie talked this morning uh, and, and you know, Xavier was praying and Jackie talked about that lady. You know, one of the, 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 the greatest witnesses that we have as a church to the rest of the world is our ability to maintain contentment. When the world is panicking that Donald Trump is leading a country, when the world is panicking that King John Un has a, space, uh, a PlayStation keyboard in front of him and pushed the wrong button, he blows the... You know, people panicking over this sort of stuff. People are panicking over who's in government, over who's in parliament. People are panicking over opportunities, doors. Are, people are panicking because they're going to close prayer in schools. People, we're panicking over all these things. And I'm not saying these things are not you know, type of things that cause people to worry. But when I'm centred on Christ and I'm looking at it all through the lens of him, it all makes sense. See, I believe 100% God is in control, whether I, re, whether I can see that or not. He's in control. And I think that's what Paul's saying. I'm down here nailed in a cell, chained to a wall. It doesn't look really good. And all you people are probably out there. But, you know, I believe that God's got a plan here. God's got a purpose. You know, from that prison cell, we've got quite a few of the letters that we make up this thing we call the New Testament today. See, God had a plan. Maybe Paul just wouldn't sit down long enough to write a letter. (laughs) I don't know. What I do know is while he's chained up in this room we get some of the most beautiful insights into the Father heart of God, into how the Holy Spirit interacts with us and into the will and the purpose and the plan of God. I want to close with this verse, 2 Samuel, chapter 19. You can, you can read it in your own time. Verse 24 to 30. And here's what happens. I think it's Absalom has risen up against David, his father. And David flees and Absalom tries to take charge. 
And Absalom ends up in a bad way. He's gone out of the picture. And David comes back into Jerusalem. And Mephibosheth, who is the, the grandchild of Saul, the spear chucker, the one that tried to kill David. And when David got into power, first thing he said was, bring me someone of Saul's family. I made a promise to Jonathan. And I'm going to fulfill that promise. And they found Mephibosheth, a young boy who was dropped it as a child and his legs were busted up. He can't walk properly and so on. And when this, this revolt happens and Absalom tries to take over, Mephibosheth can't mount his horse. He can't go. And so one of the other guys takes off and tells David, oh, no, Mephibosheth wanted nothing to do with this. Starts some lies, rumours. David ends up coming back, and when he gets back in, he's confronted by Mephibosheth. It says, Now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. He must have been a teenager at this point in his life. (laughs) Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, My lord the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, Saddle my donkey so I can go with the king. For as you know, I'm crippled. I can't get on this horse by myself. Ziba has slandered me by saying I refuse to come. That's not true, David. I wanted to come, but I couldn't get myself on the horse. But I know that my lord the king is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best to me. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord, but instead you've honoured me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? And I, I sit at your table. You've given me more in this world than I thought I could possibly have. If you want to end my life now, if you want to believe these stories about me, take my life, go for it, because I've had way more than I deserve anyway. I think most of us, I could be taken by God right now. And I would, would, would have to say with all integrity, God, you have given me way more than I deserve in this life. But praise God, don't. I'm not asking you to. But, you know, all my relatives and I could expect only death. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. You've said enough, David replied. Verse 29, we've just jumped back and forth again. Anyway, now we we catch up with the story. You've said enough, David says. That's enough. That's enough. I've heard your reason. That's enough. He says, I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between the two of you. Watch this response. Give him all of it, Mephibosheth said. I'm content just to have you safely back again, my lord the king. You can take all the wealth... You can take the land, you can take the cars, you can take the possessions. I want to be in your presence. And that's enough for me. And that, I believe, is the secret to contentment. That's the attitude that God wants each of us to have. Contentment is not about being satisfied with where you are or what you have. But knowing that, no matter where you are or what you have, God is there. God is there. Think about your most discontented thing in your world right now, the thing that you're most frustrated about. I want you to think about it throughout the day and I want you to bring God in. I want you to weigh it up. I'm freaking out and worried and frustrated about this. And then I've got the very presence of the one who said, let there be. The secret to contentment is not what we have, it's who we have. And we have the spirit of Christ, amen? Father, thank you for your word today, God. And Lord, I pray that you would remind each of us, God, I pray, take us back to that moment. Take us back to that moment where we first said yes to you, God. God, where we knew with 100% integrity you were enough for us and you were the focus and and this earth was at this time here was a drop in the bucket and eternity was what we were looking at. 
and we desired to know you and we prayed and we read the Bible and we pressed into you and we trusted you and you said pray for the sick we did you said share your faith we did it lord there was a time for each of us in this room where it was just so natural it was so natural it was first nature you actually changed our nature and we were like jesus we were actually like jesus but god somewhere along the way god with all the voices being thrown at us and so on god it's easy for us to stray so lord i pray in any areas where we have strayed god this week would you begin to speak to us deal with with that God, if we're going to be the people that you want us to be, if we're going to, uh, Lord, expect to see you do the things that you've done in the Word of God, then I believe you expect us to be the people that you had in the Word of God. So you can do that through them, God. Keep us safe, Lord, as we go home this week. And I pray in the next seven days, give each of us in this place an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody that does not know you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, people. Have a fantastic week. Uh, there's still more tea and coffee up the back, so don't feel like you've got to run off. There's a little bit of stuff on the morning tea table there. But uh, we'll bump into you in connect groups or we'll bump into you during the week. Or if not, we'll see you here on Sunday.